Welcome to Connected, episode 346. It's made possible this week by our sponsors, Pingdom, Squarespace, and Indeed. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I am joined by Mr. Federico Vitici. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic today. Yes. This is a very Federico-heavy episode, I think. Mm, okay. I like yeah, it. I hope you got some ginger tea or something, because you're, you're really going to have to go for it today. And the voice you heard is Mike Hurley. All right, Governor. Speaking before his official introduction. Yet again. Yet again. Does just doesn't respect the rules. Mike waits for no man. I just steam in. I don't care. We ready for follow-up? We are. I sure am. We got a bunch of feedback about Big Sur and external displays. It just seems like it's really bad. Really bad at waking up external displays. I've noticed uh, a little bit of difference in my system. I changed the setting so the computer stays awake, but the screen can go to sleep. And that seems to have helped it a little bit. But basically, it just seems that Big Sur really struggles, especially if you're using a Thunderbolt dock on your system. Now, Mike, you came across a firmware update for yours, right? Yeah, Jason uh, was one of the people that wrote in to tell me that the they had had previous issues with their CalDigit TS3, which is what I have, with the same problem that I was having, that basically you had to like unplug and replug things a bunch of times to get the screen to come on. Uh, but they, but I was told that there are firmware updates for the CalDigit. So I installed the software, and it provided, it performs the firmware update, which I think is similar to how macOS updates the pro display so you get a little thing in the top right hand corner notification it says there is an update for your accessory i think i've seen people like used to even post uh images like that right yeah. that's what the pro display says and so you just do it through mac os and since i did that it has worked flawlessly every oh. time i plug the cable in i can leave the laptop closed it immediately t like everything's connected the screen comes on Perfect. So mm -hmm. if you have the CalDigit TS3 and you have the issues that I was having with the monitors not being recognized, make sure that you update to the most recent firmware, which is on CalDigit's website. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to, to, to the CalDigit downloads page. Uh, and thank you to Jason who recommended that to me because it's really solved sad. my issue and I love it. I'm really sad now because there's no firmware download for the Belkin dock. If you I, get a CalDigit, this is <sighs> what they do. I'm I'm supposed to get like a test unit for the new OWC one um, at some okay. point soon, so maybe that'll work better. I don't know. Um, I <laughs> why doesn't Belkin have downloadable firmware files from their website? Because maybe they don't have a firmware update at all, right? Like maybe that's the problem. They just don't have one. Well, that's disappointing, mm. isn't it? It I is. Guess so. yeah. Okay. There's CalDigit have something coming up. I think it's like I think maybe they started shipping it, but it's called the Element Hub, which is a Thunderbolt 4 hub and it is, that thing looks awesome. It can do tons of stuff. So maybe just get one of those Federico put a pre-order in or something. Hmm. I'll check it out. Okay. Yeah, meanwhile I'm just unplugging and replugging cables like a caveman, but sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's fine. TS3 is good though. Can recommend. Uh, we also have follow-up about the Magic Keyboard and the iPad Pro. Uh, we're going to obviously talk about Federico's M1 iPad Pro review, but I wanted to pull this out uh, here that you can use the old Magic Keyboard with the new 12.9-inch iPad Pro, even though it's a hair thicker. 
it just seems like Apple totally dropped the ball in this communication to me. Yeah, it's like it's totally fine. I I tried it multiple times. Like I honestly don't understand where the problem is supposed to be. It closes fine. There's no like weird pressure going on against the screen. There's no gap that I can see. It just attaches fine. It work again. It's it's fine. I I don't know what to say about it. Don't get don't buy don't feel like you should buy a new Magic Keyboard if you're getting the new iPad Pro. Now, I don't know if it's different with the 11-inch iPad Pro, but I feel like most people are not going to get the 11-inch anyway. The 11-inch didn't get updated at all. Oh, see? There you go. Okay. <laughs> well, um, don't buy a new Magic Keyboard. Unless you really want one in white, which is a different color, uh, which is a different discussion. But uh-huh. I know that it's a different color. <laughs> Great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, black and white are different. Yes, black and white. <laughs> yes. You want that one, uh, huh? I, look, there's people who cannot tell colors apart although maybe i guess you can tell yeah i don't know if black white colorblind is a thing here's a question it black and white colorblind is colorblind doesn't exist right um, i don't know i i don't know well now you're making me think about this does it exist black and white colorblindness no i don't think it does still the old one works fine i cannot tell what the problem is supposed to be i don't understand why um, Apple had such a confusing message around all of this. So I wish I could say the same about the Kensington Studio Doc, though. <laughs> just before <laughs> we talk about that real quick, I did just want to like underscore the point that you both made. Like, clearly they, they felt like they wanted to change it, right? Which is totally fine. If Apple wanted to change it, they wanted to change it if they felt like the tolerances could be better, right? That maybe they think over long extended periods of use, maybe it's better to have it fit just right or whatever. They should have just clarified it faster. It was days of stories of people saying it wouldn't fit. And then they said, oh, it will fit. And now it's been proven. But like, I don't know why they just left it for days without saying, yeah, it's, I don't, sometimes things I don't understand, like it confuses me. I have no doubt that sites like The Verge or whatever contacted Apple to try and get like a comment on it as well. So it's not, probably not like it blindsided them. I don't know why they did that. But anyway, things aren't as rosy for Kensington. No, uh, because the 0.5 millimeter difference between the old iPad Pro and the new one was enough to make the new iPad Pro not compatible with the attachment um, panel that they have in the studio dock. So I tested this by uh, trying to plug the iPad Pro into the USB-C connector of the Kensington studio dock. And the moment I saw that I was applying too much strength and the thing was just not going in, I knew that I had to give up. Otherwise, I was going to destroy the review unit. It was like, nope, I'm going to stop here. Uh, We talked about this last week. Should have Kensington designed this accessory with a replaceable attachment um, Mm -hmm. part? Maybe, especially if this an accessory that you're going to release two months before a new iPad Pro that everyone knows at this point is getting a new display technology. And usually when you hear new display technology, you hear, oh, there may be some slight changes in how thick or thin the device is. And you, Mike, you mentioned uh, that accessory that you bought for Adina that very cleverly has a replaceable unit so that if you change your iPad, you don't have to upgrade the whole thing. You just get that specific part changed. So now if you have the Kensington Studio Dock, you have effectively like a $400 paperweight 
on your desk if you want to use the new iPad Pro. And, I mean, you've uh, really got to hope that they they weren't thinking, oh, if we just, you know, we could design it differently, but if we design it this way, maybe people will upgrade every couple of years. Like, I just got to hope that that wasn't the thinking because that's stupid thinking. If that was the case, where they were like, oh, if we design it, if we design it this way, it means people can't, it if they if so maybe they would think right the thought process could go hey the way we've designed this means that if apple changes the dimensions of the ipad pro you'd need to get a new one of these and then someone goes that's okay we'll we, we'll we'll create a product where maybe every 2 to 3 years people will buy a new one that's good for us right mm. you can see that thinking but that thinking is so bad because now who's going to buy the product right I wouldn't I would not buy this product now because I would know if Apple were to change the iPad Pro again next year which they yep. could for all we know I would now need to buy another thing every year and I'm just not going to do that. I mean I liked the Studio Dock but I'm not getting a new one because unless they make some like you mentioned unless they make some changes to how it's supposed to work like I don't want to buy a new one every year you know so it's unfortunate. No, if they made a future model where where clearly you could, you know, and they were like, hey, we have replaceable brackets or whatever, it'd be like, yeah, okay, fine. Like, I can get on board with that. Sure. The M1 iMacs are out. Uh, as you listen to this, they're on FedEx planes and UPS trucks making their way to people. Uh, we've seen a bunch of reviews come out. I definitely want to point people to Jason's over on Six Colors. Uh, as well as Upgrade 353, where Mike, you, and Jason spoke about the new machine. I'm really excited. I've got one coming this week, and I can't wait to see it. I'm I'm really excited about a, this machine, even though it's a, it's a consumer iMac, and the screen is smaller than I'd want to use, and all these things. It's uh, it's pretty awesome. Do you, is yours due Friday? It is due Friday by noon, although it's been in Memphis for like four days already, just hanging out at FedEx, apparently. Yeah. Easy for you. You could just drive down to the airport and pick it up. Yeah, I was like, hey, hey, like be at the gate. You have my computer. Can I you have it? You just catch the catch the person as they're coming out of the, That's the right. gate, right, in the morning. Be mm -hmm. like, I'll just take this from you. Yeah. Thanks. Joe! Joe, I got my computer! <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's back. Everyone's favorite character's back. Do we have a name for that character, or is it just you? Because, <laughs> uh, you know, always, this person's always talking to Joe. South, Southern Stephen. Southern Stephen. Yeah. yeah. He's, uh, maybe with a V, right? It's just Stephen with a V. But also, who is Joe? I feel like Joe is the neighbor that I'm yelling at, like across the street. Joe, the keyboard is orange! <laughs> What did you say, orange? <laughs> I think he said orange. It, I think it was an, it was just the sound, like orange, orange, orange. <laughs> it's got touch ID. <laughs> I'm excited. I I wish they would just make one key with the touch ID. Right, you just buy one key. That's it. Right, you don't need the keyboard. You get whatever keyboard you want. Just like one, like the touch ID button. Like yeah. it's it's just that. Just that's all it is. Sounds like a guy who builds keyboards for fun. Yes. It's like one key, you keep it on your desk and you press, and, and it's just that, and you press it and you authenticate. Yeah. I kind of like it. Little thing, just one beep and it's done. Because I could imagine I would have like the, the 
Touch ID keyboard just sits on the foot of the iMac and all I use it for is just for Touch ID and then use my own keyboard, right? I could imagine if I if I had one of these machines, it's probably what I would do. I would just leave that the Touch ID keyboard there and think what I would like more, honestly, is Touch ID built into a trackpad. Mm. That's what I would like to see them do. I think that'd be super nice. I hope they, I hope one day they would do that. I know why they didn't, right? And I'm sure that most people do just use the keyboard that comes out of a computer especially when that keyboard is color matched to their computer i mean oh, yeah more people are going to use their new imac keyboards than they would have otherwise right because it's like you now have the red keyboard for your red computer or whatever like it's just like a fun little thing to do but i do wish that they would put it into trackpads too so i could then just use the trackpad so here's a question like a serious question for for you both do you think that these imacs are possible now with all these fun touches, right? The color-matched keyboard, the color itself, and, the, you know, the screensaver with the cursive hello, like all these sort of retro, fun, personality touches. Do you feel like these are possible now because Johnny is no longer in charge of design at Apple? I don't like to play this game too much, right? I feel like we've said this on the sure. show before. Every once in a while, though. Let, let, because, you know, people like to... I think people blame too or ascribe too much blame to Johnny Ive. Like they just put everything that they don't like about Apple products on him. But I 100% believe that this is <laughs> the, the this is post-Johnny Ive design. Mm-hmm. Not that he necessarily wouldn't have done this. Look, the guy could have fun. I mean, we had a space gray MacBook and a silver <laughs> MacBook and then a gold one. It was off the chain. Oh, yeah. And then the rose gold. Oh, you what? But you know, you know what I mean? Like, look, I'm not saying that, that they wouldn't have done this if he was still there, but this is very clearly the first product mm-hmm. that I, well, one of the first products, if not the first product that Apple would have designed post Johnny completely, right? Mm. Because you've got to assume that the iPhones have been in development for way longer. This is such a rep, like a, a, a huge uh, change. Yeah, I, I, I would believe that. I would personally believe that. And again, I don't know if it's because of him, but I would say that it is the first probably post Johnny design. There was also this little tidbit in a German report saying that Apple pulled off working on the bigger iMac to finish this one, which in my mind kind of leads to what you're saying of like this was done very recently. I don't know what to think about that little part of that report that's weird right itself is is really intriguing we're not going to get into it today maybe we will on a future episode but that's just like i don't understand like were they surprised by the 24 inch imac like wow we forgot about it right like i don't (laughs) understand i don't get it right like why would people need to stop working on one thing uh, but look this stuff is big and complicated and i don't understand it but it also gives you the idea that apple has like six people working on computers yeah which is also I mean, maybe they do when it comes to some parts, like the design, maybe. Maybe the design mm. teams are really small. How many people do you need to make the, to, to design a computer from a visual perspective? I don't know. It's probably not 100 people, right? Just from, no. like a design pers- like from the initial design parts, especially with the way that Apple works in these like smaller teams where they can keep things more controlled. But yeah, it is a peculiar tidbit. Uh, you know, I wonder if this is one of those things, like, is this is this completely accurate or is this something someone said because that was their view, right? Like, maybe this person, the person that spoke to Mark Gurman, got moved from one team to another. I don't know. We'll find, I guess we'll find out. We'll see how long it takes for a bigger iMac to come around. Yeah. 
and if like it looks completely different like it was made by a different company <laughs> he's like ah, <laughs> what happened there <laughs> it's like a dell <laughs> it's got like leather on the back or something hey it'd be hot <laughs> that's the johnny ive edition rich corinthian leather on the back and then you get a felt one for scott forstall it'd be amazing man imagine a display that is actually wrapped in leather i think hp did that they did a whole laptop like that yeah what if they did a mac that was like a like a real throwback i mean we think the colors are throwback but what if it's like beige and has a crt i'd be a pro computer for someone you know that there's still folks who non-ironically and i see these photos every once in a while in my twitter timeline that still like to work usually they're writers on like an original macintosh that's how jason works <laughs> but no they just actually like write articles or essays or whatever or books mm-hmm. on like what was it called mac right yeah Is that yeah it's like i thought they would do this like as a like as a as an experiment right as a as a not as a joke but like as a thing that like every once in a while i may play a really old game on i don't know a gamecube for example but it's not like that's my main console right but there's folks who actually work on old like really old macs and i think that's fascinating i think people like the idea of having a machine that twitter's not on <laughs> yeah i'm sure that's part of that but also i i feel like i don't know i struggle to imagine that and i also feel like it's it's possible with old computers and with old video game consoles because i feel like they're kind of similar from that point of view that don't have internet access for example i think if you tried to get your work done on say an ipad 4 mm-hmm. it would be a nightmare it would be a nightmare because like you wouldn't be able to install apps you wouldn't be able to run software updates, right? Because that's an old machine, but it's not old, old. And there's the internet that complicates things. But if you want to use an original, an original Macintosh in 2021, sure. That's, you know, provided it works. It's slow, but you can still work on it because it doesn't have the internet. So maybe what I'm getting at is the internet has ruined everything. Maybe. Like it was a bad idea to connect all of us. <laughs> this is deeper than I wanted to go. Can we like jump back out now? <laughs> I mean, who would want to be connected? Right. I want I want maximum connection. I want Connected Pro. Mike, where can people find Connected Pro? The longer ad free version of the show. Get connectedpro.co then. What if we we stop doing the podcast, we just talk on the phone and then we record <laughs> we rec- we record the the phone call and but yeah, that would still be a podcast after all. What if it's like just the three of us and then I start reading a pingdom ad? I feel like this is like um, what the kids today will be doing, right? But like they won't, they'll be, they'll have like private podcasts that are just telephone calls, <laughs> right? And that's, that's just where we're... I'm sure there's like a, there's a Silicon Valley startup somewhere that's trying to reinvent the idea of a phone call by saying it's a, pri- it's, it's a private podcast with your friends. Oh, God. <laughs> Federico, if you tweeted that, you would raise $20 million in half an hour. It's literally just a phone call. Like, Imagine a podcast that only you and your friends listen to. We call it Phone Call. Imagine if you, if you didn't have to create an account anywhere. And imagine if you could get an object 
that was tied to transmitting your voice. And we call that object a SIM card. Oh. <laughs> right? It's a physical token. It's like an NFT, but in real life. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have so much to talk about today. Can we? Can we move on? <laughs> can, we, can we move on? Come on, Stephen. You're in control of this show. You've let this get out of control now. Have I? You got to rein us in. This is what happens when when you let us talk after I'm done with the big project. This is what happens. I know. Loopy. Please be the adult here and take care of this. Okay. Well, let's move on. Let's move on. This phone call is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. <laughs> While you've been listening to this podcast, how would you know if your website had gone down? While you're on this phone call, how would you know if your website had gone down, right? <laughs> how would you know? Would you get a fax? Would someone write you a letter? You might stumble across the problem by luck, but that means you've probably already lost out on new customers. You need something to tell you that everything is running smoothly on your website, and more importantly, when that's not the case. You need Pingdom. They detect around 13 million outages every month. That's 400,000 outages every day. You know how many outages that is an hour, guys? Do you know? 400,000? 16,000 outages every hour. Wow. Did you do that math in your head? No, I did it in Alfred while I was talking. Okay, it was pretty impressive. You should have said yes. And for as low, it would be very impressive. And for as low as $10 a month, Pingdom helps you keep your sites online. It doesn't matter if you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company or anywhere in between. You need real-time alerts about critical website issues. And you want customization of how you're alerted via SMS or email or Pingdom can even talk into your team's collaboration app so a whole team can see there's an issue. Pingdom even tracks and analyzes your website's load times so you can see what's affecting users' experiences. If you have a website, you need Pingdom. Take charge of monitoring your site in minutes and go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a free 30-day trial with no credit card required. When you sign up, use the code CONNECTED at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for the support of the show. And Relay FM. So Federico published a fantastic review of the iPad Pro today. So the 2021, you only got the 12.9, right? Yes. It's really, it was. I think it was. I think maybe some. I saw in some video reviews, like some people seem to have gotten both, but nobody really spoke about the 11 because there really isn't. It's there's just the things to talk about happening on the larger one, and mm-hmm. the, the 11 has yeah. everything else, right? Like it's. It's only missing features. It's not. It doesn't have anything extra or special to it. Um, I read your review. It was awesome. I have a bunch of questions for you. Okay, go for it. All right. So I'm ready. The physical size of the device, right? The screen has remained 12.9 inches and all that kind of stuff. And you know the the dimensions of it are the same, but it got a little thicker and it got a little heavier. Now, when you look at these measurements, what is it like? Like 0.49 millimeters, like half a millimeter thicker, and like a tiny amount heavier, right? Yes. 643 grams is the 2020 model, so it's 42 grams heavier than that one at 685 and 0.5 millimeters thicker. These seem like imperceptible on their own, right? Like half a millimeter, Mm -hmm. what's that? Can you barely even see it, you know? Or like, could you even imagine how much 42 grams was? So when you take these things out of context, they don't really seem like much of a difference. Are they that much Mm -hmm. of a difference? Uh, You can feel it 
uh, especially if you're like the kind of person who is really accustomed to like holding the iPad every day. And yeah, I always notice when the phones change weight, for example, no matter how much. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, exactly. And I, especially over the last few months, uh, since I've started using the iPad to like to read and to just browse around at the end of the day, like I'm using it as a tablet more. I feel like I've developed again like that sort of muscle memory like between like my my thumb and my index finger when I'm holding the iPad that I'm really tuned to like the physical thickness of the device. And so as soon as I got the new one out of the box, I could tell that it was slightly heavier and just slightly thicker than before. But it's not a big deal. Like it I really especially the thickness it doesn't really matter. Uh the weight difference you can feel it and just to make to 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 make sure that I was correct, I did a bunch of blind tests with Sylvia. Oh, nice. um, I was like, "Hey, close your eyes and and you know, give me your hands. I'm gonna give you one iPad and another iPad. Please don't drop them." Things get wild in the Vatici household. <laughs> yes, she was really helpful uh, with with this review. Um, a very kind person to help you out with all of this stuff. And every single time, she picked the new one as the heavier one, or the lighter one as the old one, and vice versa. So, uh, the blind tests confirmed that you can feel it, but again, not a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Also, I feel like. How many people are going to use an iPad, a 12.9 inch iPad Pro, as a tablet that frequently? Like, sure, there's a, enough people like me out there. I mean, I assume that some folks reading Mac stories have kind of my same preferences, mm-hmm. but this is mostly an iPad that the majority of users are going to keep in a smart keyboard, uh, in a Magic Keyboard, right? So it it doesn't really matter. But yeah. you can see it, you can feel it. It's okay. A 12.9 really isn't designed to be held in the same way that other iPads are designed to be held anyway. It's just big. I want to jump straight to the display. This is the thing that has become the most intriguing to me. Okay. Uh, Having seen... So I figured it's going to look really nice, right? I think we all thought that. It's going to look really nice. HDR is going to look great. Wow, it seems like it's going to be like a pro display. How cool does that sound? And you just kind of think, well, that's just going to be better than what we currently have. But the differences in the black levels, so you show these images in like photos of the iPads, both with a what is should be pure black background. And the new iPad shows it black. The old <laughs> iPad, it looks visibly blue. It looks like it's <laughs> uh-huh. just a completely different. <laughs> yes. And when I saw these, I mean, I think we were all like this, right? You, you sent these images to us. Nobody could really believe it because it yeah. seems to be so much better mm-hmm. than we would have imagined it to be from a from a difference. I actually kind of think Apple should have done this. Yeah, they should have shown this. The, the, the issue there is that they don't want to say how bad the display on the 11 inch iPad Pro. They're still selling well, this. And every and every other display they make, except for the OLED iPhones. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, all the laptops, the Pro Display XDR, nothing has the the range this thing has, let alone the number of local dimming zones. It's it's wild. Yeah, it's incredible. And seeing that, like the first time I did that in person, um, I I thought that I was doing something wrong, but then I realized I'm not doing anything wrong. I have a black JPEG in photos, and I'm zooming that to fill the screen. I have maximum brightness. Two iPads side by side, same settings, and one is dark 
gray, bluish, and the other is black. And, and it's like, I, I'm not doing anything wrong here. This is just how good of a display this is. And, and, and you see that, like, initially I kind of struggled, like, the first five minutes I kind of struggled to understand, like, what, what's the big deal with the XDR here? Because, like, I was looking at settings, and it's a, you know, it's a white page. I was looking at mail and messages, like, I don't get it. What am I supposed to appreciate here? But then when you get to photos, when you get to watching a uh, TV show or a movie, or just using dark mode, like using pure black uh, themes in apps that have that kind of option. That's where it gets me. It looks me. really nice. Because my thinking was like, all right, video is going to look great, right? HDR is going to look great. Uh, whatever you know they're not what you know what i mean but it's like okay that's nice but i only watch movies on my ipad when i don't have another screen right like i'm on a plane and really do i need the best display possible i don't need it at that moment nice to have but i'm not because then you know i would in theory just watch movies on my phone smaller but better quality right like so i don't really feel like for me personally i am that sold on it just because the hdr movies are going to look good but i love dark mode i was reading this review and i did something i shouldn't have done so I was reading this review and I had Google Docs on the side, right? And I was making notes mm. and I used Google Docs on my iPad in dark mode. And Google Docs in dark mode is like pure black, right? I took my iPhone out and I opened Google Docs on my iPhone and I put it next to my iPad. And I, then I saw <laughs> yeah. the difference and it was like, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's basically what it looks like. It's really incredible. It's incredible. And so for me at that point, when I was looking at these images and stuff, even though I, you know, I hadn't bought an iPad and I said I didn't necessarily feel like I wanted to buy one, even if they had the 11-inch with all this stuff, I probably wouldn't have jumped at it. I would have just waited to see maybe if WWDC would make it like I would really want it, right? The 11-inch had the XDR display in it. I would have ordered it immediately on seeing those images. Yes. So similarly, like if I was using the larger iPad as my primary iPad, but thought I would wait or skip it, that would have immediately made me buy it. Now, we have one on the way for Adina, so I'm going to see it myself. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if it pushes me over the edge at some point to, to then just be like, I'll forget my 11-inch iPad Pro. I'm going to change it out for the 12.9. The screen's so good that I'll use the bigger one instead. I don't know mm-hmm. that, right? But now, it's just seeing how good that looks it does feel like maybe one of those things that once I've seen how good an iPad can look with this kind of display, I might struggle to go back to my 11 inch. Uh, you gotta see it in in real yeah. life. It look it looks really it looks really great. It it's a beautiful display and it uh, obviously like OLED uh, in some aspects it's better. Like you actually have pure uh, true black right on on OLED, but I never had such a good display at this size right that's the thing uh, sure i have an oled tv b- and that looks beautiful too but in a portable computer uh, it's something that i uh, you know that is bigger than a phone but that i also hold closer to my eyes than a tv it's a really beautiful effect in in real life and uh, especially like it's it's making me reconsider using dark mode especially at night 
uh, in apps like Twitter, like they have in t- Twitter has a, a pure black uh, mode. I use that. Uh, so I'm using that there in Safari Reader. Uh, obviously, Obsidian isn't an issue because it already has a dark mode. That was my favorite surprise. And it's like, as I wrote in the review, it's the kind of hardware change that in a way it already makes sense today. Like it's something that you can appreciate immediately. Unlike, you know, Thunderbolt and the M1, sure, those are great, but the software isn't really taking advantage of those. Whereas the better display, it's just there. And you you load up an HDR movie and it, you can see the difference right now, today. So, yeah, it's really beautiful. I think the the common wisdom has been that the the reason this iPad is thicker is the display, but it also has a slightly bigger battery. And I'm wondering in your time with it, how has that trade-off felt? Do you still feel like you're getting the battery life you got before, even with this incredible new screen? Um, yeah, but so I avoided doing the battery related tests sure. because I, uh, I was, because I prioritized writing about the display, I constantly kept it at full brightness and I don't think I'm supposed to do that. Like it's not something that I usually do with my iPad and because I kept it at full brightness all the time, I actually didn't get the usual battery life that I get from my regular, like from the older iPad Pro where I have auto brightness turned on and it's never at full brightness during the day. (laughs) It blinds you. I mean, even the old screen was so bright. I really... I cannot comment on the battery right now because I haven't used it in my regular uh, sort of conditions. I figured, you know, people really want to re- really want to read about the the XDR display. So let's see how it performs when, you know, when when you let it give its best at full brightness. Um, so actually, I I had to charge the iPad Pro like at usually like at dinner time. I had to plug it in because I, I it was. You know, when you keep it at full brightness and you're working on it for like nine consecutive hours, you're going to drain the battery real fast. That's as long as the battery's supposed to last, right? Yeah. yeah. Are the the battery tests done at 100% brightness or with auto brightness turned on? I though? I never pay attention to battery tests because I don't feel like that they replicate my own life usage. Like the only thing I ever pay attention to with battery tests is up, down, same. Right, like I don't care about the amount of hours. Yes. Right, like we did it at full brightness with Wi-Fi off, watching videos. You know what? I never do that. So, like, I don't care what that result is. I never use my devices that way. You know, like it, I even if I have Wi-Fi off and I'm watching videos, I don't have my display at full brightness because I burn my eyes out. Like I don't, you know, like I just don't, so all I ever really care about is like doing this test compared to last year's test. Does it give you the same result or a different result? That's yeah. my kind of, yeah. you know, and it seems like people are saying it's basically the same, but just it's big. The battery's bigger, and I, you know, I I bet you're right, Stephen. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised. If maybe the device is bigger because they put a big, bigger battery in it, not necessarily because of the technology in the in the screens. It could be a bit of both, but who knows? I had a thought while reading your review, Federico. That you you can maybe correct me if I'm wrong. I found this intriguing that the screen because it's a hardware change that I feel like is pretty rare in the iPad Pro's history, where it benefits both of the quote-unquote typical use cases of the iPad at the same time. So, like, mm, it's yes. better for professionals doing video and photo work and also for people that just watch movies on their iPad. 
Absolutely. Yes, I agree. And I found that kind of intriguing. I don't think there's many examples of that, right? Where it's better for consumption and real work. Yeah. Right. But like, I think it's rare that like, this is a, like, this is a, this is a feature that they're touting as like, this is for our pro customers. They're going to get better uh, color accuracy. And that's certainly true. But hey, if you watch movies on your iPad, you're also going to get a much better experience as well. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's it's rare to have a new feature that is like the same feature can be potentially useful for two kinds of people in very different ways. And obviously for professionals, like this is a, a you know, a mini LED display with support for white color, all those dimming zones, but it's still not a reference monitor, right? It's not like the Pro Display XDR that you can manually calibrate, for example, right? Uh, I actually I actually looked into this um, because when I was when I was writing the display section and I was doing the comparisons between uh, the, the black levels on the old iPad and the new one, I looked into how can I actually like scientifically measure the light that is coming out of the iPad display when I'm loading up a black image. And so I started, I wasted like a couple of hours uh, about five days ago, I think, like it was on Thursday or Friday, uh, looking into colorimeters and um, what are they called? Like spectrometers, something like that. Basically, this fancy equipment that allows you to measure light emitting from a display. And I quickly found out that the real professional stuff gets expensive real fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I didn't want to spend like 2,000 euros just to get a professional, you know, professional grade colorimeter to measure. Like, I, I just figured, you know what? I'm going to take a picture and show people what it looks like. <laughs> At a certain point, like, do you even understand what it would tell you? No, exactly. It's like, oh, look at these fancy <laughs> graphs. You know, um, Queen did this. Uh, Queen Nelson did this recently on YouTube mm-hmm. for the Apple TV calibration video and he knows what he's doing alright I have no idea what kind of equipment I was supposed to buy and also I couldn't reach out to people this is one of the this is one of the things that happen when you're when you're testing new Apple hardware sometimes you have a question and you know exactly the kind of person that you would ask a question to but you cannot ask the question because you you cannot tell them yep. that you're testing this new thing it's so like I really want to text Queen and say, hey, I'm supposed to measure the black level of the XDR display. Can you tell me how to do this? But I couldn't. And so I just left that there and I just took the pictures. Uh, And yes, I watched in HDR because I, I don't know how to create HDR content, but I tested by watching. So I was a consumer of HDR content and, uh, it looks really incredible. Uh, I watched for the fifth time, I think, The Greatest Showman, which is a movie I love. Really fantastic movie. It looks beautiful in Dolby Vision. And uh, it's, it also supports HDR10. And what's the other one? HLG, uh, uh-huh. another standard. And I mostly have Dolby Vision movies in my library, mm-hmm. and they look beautiful. So I want to talk about the M1 chip. So... Okay. Realistically, this iPad doesn't do anything that other iPads cannot. It just does everything faster, right? That's kind of how it is at the moment. Do you ever imagine a time when Apple would actually make this the case, a feature that only an M1 Mac or higher can do? Interesting. Because what I'm trying to work out is like, if all we're ever going to do is just the same thing, but faster. Like, is there going to be a line in the sand where it's like, you need this type of iPad and then 
everything else will not be able to do it. I would say yes, but not in the near future, mm-hmm. maybe. I think it... But then again, I could see, you know, we joked about this when we did the Rikis. Uh, you know, my flex is at things like virtualization, right? Or driver mm-hmm. kit. And especially with the virtualization, all the work that Apple has done to, to, to redo the whole thing for the M1 on the Mac, I could see some of that work come to iPad and Apple say, if you have an M1 iPad, you can virtualize, you know, things like Linux, for example. So I could see actually the M1 line getting some exclusive features. I just think it would be kind of odd to do it right now this close to the, like, the iPad just came out and it already gets a bunch of exclusive features where there's a lot of other things that iPadOS is supposed to gain, you know, before we get to that, that can benefit all iPad users. So I also thought, like, a few years ago, we had this discussion in 2018 with the iPads with the extra RAM, right? We talked about, like, are these iPads going to get exclusive features that are not available to other models? And Apple didn't do that. But that was just a RAM difference. Here we're talking about the actual, like, architecture of of the computer itself. So I will say maybe, but not right now. Although I would be happy to be surprised. I just think it's going to, if they do it right, like, next month, it could be a little strange, you know? There's folks who bought an iPad Pro last year and it's still totally capable. Like if you have a, the iPad Pro with the A12Z, never had a single time where I, I I was using it and thought, oh my God, this is so slow. iPadOS cannot keep up with it. No, it never happened. So I don't know, giving the, the new iPad Pro already some exclusive stuff because it's got the M1? Sure, but maybe it's too soon. I was thinking about storage and RAM. So... Two terabytes of storage on an iPad is bananas to me, like as a thought. Like mm-hmm. it just seems like too much. Like I'm sure some people could make use of it, but like it really seems wild to me that they offer that right now. And I was thinking like maybe that's why they have the 16 gigabytes of RAM, you know, for like the one terabyte and two terabyte storage models, they have 16 gigabytes of RAM. And maybe they have that because it's something about like, storage controllers and RAM and all that kind of stuff. So I thought maybe there was a minimum. So I thought I would go to see, can I buy a Mac with eight gigabytes of RAM and one terabyte of storage? And you can. So, huh? because uh, I was wondering, like, is it an M1 thing, maybe? Like an M1 related right. thing where to have X amount of storage, you need X amount of RAM, but you can configure them however you want when you're buying like a MacBook Pro or an iMac. You can get eight gigabytes of RAM, two terabytes of storage, and it will let you do that, no problem. Because the reason I was doing this is because I just, you know, I'm not saying anything we haven't already said or other people, of course, are saying. I just can't fathom why 16 gigabytes of RAM in an iPad is a thing and also why they're now telling us. Like, those two things together just seem so peculiar. Yeah. I I don't really have any... There's not really necessarily... There's not a question there, but, like, it's more just, like, Mm -hmm. a thing I was thinking about if you two had anything to say about it. I mean, this is speculation, but it it could be that in the past, they had to have the RAM for the storage, that they were linked somehow. Mm-hmm. But now at the M1, they don't have to be, but this is how they're doing the tiers, right? And like a computer, they're sort of good, better, best. But the one terabyte 
iPad Pro, the old one, that didn't have 16 gigabytes of RAM, did it? Yeah, so it's better than before. But I don't know. I mean, there's definitely a story Apple's got to tell here. I agree with Federico. Yep. I don't think it's three weeks from now at WWDC. I don't think they can that quickly move the ball forward with a device that most people can't even get until now mid-July, it looks like, some of the ship dates. So I, I got to wonder about like the, all these, especially the RAM, right? There's virtually nothing on the App Store right now that can use even 8 gigabytes of RAM. I don't think there's any, any app on the App Store that is really bumping against that limitation, let alone 16 gigs of RAM. But I have to wonder, is this like the kind of feature that you're adding to the iPad Pro in preparation for what, what you're going to do in iPadOS 15 or 16, right? So one of the one of the things that I noticed that I forgot to mention in my review is because of all, of all this extra RAM, you uh, the iPad can keep things in memory for longer than before. So tabs in Safari uh, and open apps in the App Switcher, right? You you have more memory, therefore, when you switch back and forth between apps or web pages that you closed even two days ago, there's a good chance they're just going to be suspended and you can pick right where you left off, right? But I wonder, and I mean, sure, that's a good demo. It makes for a good demo, like you're switching to a Safari tab that you opened on Tuesday and now it's Friday and it's still in memory. Great. But is there a more practical, like, application of this like maybe all this memory could be used if iPadOS were to gain some function like a, a feature that lets you save a workspace right so you save a combination of apps as a favorite right as a, as a you know like a like a favorite split view for example and when you reopen that it's always in memory right it's always suspended so I could see that sort of all this new memory it, all this new RAM, it, like it doesn't make a lot of sense right now, but it could potentially be the you know necessary for new features down the road, and that's basically the 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 key angle that I chose for this review. Like all this fancy hardware, great, but why is it here right now, and what can it potentially lead to? down the road mm. that's kind of the story that this ipad tells at the moment that it's this beautiful machine super fast doesn't really have anywhere to go at the moment center stage seems amazing yes yes i agree it's really fun so uh center stage is the new feature that um primarily advertised for video calls it uses the new ultra wide front-facing camera on the iPad Pro to follow you around as you move during a video call and to make sure that it keeps your face front and center as much as possible. So the way that this is works, uh, this works is really clever. Uh, the ultra-wide scene is cropped dynamically, and he, and the iPadOS uses machine learning to follow you around. So the more you move, the more the OS keep tr keeps track of your face and it dynamically crops the image in real time to give you the illusion that it's physically zooming and panning to follow you around, 
nothing is physically moving, of course. The camera is not moving. There's nothing moving the camera. It's just software that uh, uses that kind of animation, that kind of transition to follow you around, to make it look like there's a camera that's following you. It's really well done, and it's the, the like. It's a very good example of what machine learning can do in practice. Now you see what it what it can do. It's all real time, and it works really well. I love that, by the way. It's like a way to talk about that feature. Like I hadn't considered that, but it is really intriguing. Of like, this is a thing that you can see is really happening because it's actually yes. moving something right like it's not just yes. happening in the background and processing something and you see that power it's because time. it's immediate yes it's like it's 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 in front of you i also just want to say like you know looking at the animations i think they did it really smartly they they've animated it in such a way that it looks like a physical lens is moving exactly there's yes. like acceleration to it which i i think is very it's very well made that that whole feature is very well made this is going to be one of those things that i'm sure everyone's going to try and do just like this now right like this is something yes. going to see uh I, I really i just think it's super cool it's a very very fun feature and so to test this in the review i thought about it and i figured you know all these other reviewers Every one of them is going to do the same thing. They're all going to sit in front of FaceTime or WebEx because Apple, I believe, they worked with uh, WebEx to support this. <laughs> well, that's not surprising, launch. is it? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like they're all going to do the same thing. They're going to record like a FaceTime call and show how it works. But because I'm a nerd and I care about this stuff, I knew that there was a center stage API that there was already documentation on the Apple developer website about it. And so I thought, you know, I talked to John, one true John, and I asked him, do you think that the one true son, <laughs> the other one, not Finn, not Finn. The uh, other true son? Do you think that yours, the other true son, Owen, do you think Owen has the time to put together like a custom center stage app for me in, for like tomorrow? It's like, sure, let me ask Owen. <laughs> and a few hours later, it's like, hey, Owen, Owen has a GitHub project <laughs> that he shared with you and you can install it and run it. So um, I thought, wouldn't it be fun if instead of doing what everybody else is doing, we gave that section, the center stage section of the review, a bit of flavor, a bit of style. And so we used this custom test app to have a full screen view of center stage in action. Instead of having to crop the tiny preview window of or having to record a FaceTime call, we put together this custom app that is just a front-facing camera view, and there's a single button that says enable center stage or disable center stage. And it uses the new native API in iPadOS 14.5 for center stage. And that allowed me to well first of all it was fun because it, it, it allowed us to like do those silly videos and gifs and all this so thing. good so good it was super fun to to put those together because i think like i gotta i i want to differentiate myself you know and and it felt like especially the the gif with the sunglasses that felt like a very memeable thing to do that would cause people to check out the review and, and seems to be working so far. But technically speaking, it's also like it allowed me to understand better how center stage works behind the scenes. And what's fascinating about it is 
Yeah, that the funny gif with the sunglasses that is actually like a teachable moment <laughs> about how center stage works that gif and th that video begins with a shot of an empty wall nothing is going on right but the way center stage works is even when the image is cropped it's center stage the camera is always seeing more of the scene because it's an ultra wide shot it's just cropped. So as you can see, the camera turns, put me in the frame. Mm -hmm. And that happens because, and you can see the there's a video in the story that shows what happened from another point of view. You can see that as soon as I took a step, I kind of entered this invisible zone where center stage was active. And as soon as I entered that zone, the I wasn't shown on screen, but the camera saw me. And so the camera very quickly told the system, hey, a face has entered the scene. You're supposed to turn. And the camera turns, and I do the silly thing with the sunglasses. So what I find this very fascinating because it means the computer is showing you one thing, but it's actually at all times seeing more and processing more data for you. And I feel like, because I do this like big picture, sort of thinking long term, this is exactly what like a, a wearable like AR device will do. You will see one thing with your eyes, but if you have cameras all around you and you have sensors all around you, the computer will see more on your behalf. And it's like, I don't know, it's just a fascinating theme of you, the user, see a limited amount of information, but it's the computer's job to act on more information for you and to process more data. It's just a very good demo of, what, of, what, of machine learning and, and, you know, AI, what it can do in practice. This is what it can do. The title of the review, Future on Standby, beautiful. Uh, nice way of putting it. Oh, All reviews thanks. have some element in them of, gotta wait and see what Apple does in WWDC. You've been around this block enough right. times. Do you worry about putting too many hopes in Apple delivering on ev on the software this year? All the time, yes, I do. I do. <laughs> I do worry. I'm very concerned <laughs> uh, because I I know that we're we're all asking for a series of things, and usually with Apple, when you have a like you have ten wishes, Apple is gonna give you four. Right? You gotta basically cut the list in half and remove one from that number. That's usually how it goes. And so I have a long list of things. I'm gonna probably going to get a couple of those, right, at WWDC. But I think it's important that we, we talk about this because it's, it, it's become so obvious that the, the that iPad hardware is going at one, like is going at a certain speed, and the software is like, going the opposite direction at this point. Like, it's not even struggling. It's not even trying, really. You have an iPad with the M1, with Thunderbolt, with, uh, uh, you know, a really deep, a really uh, powerful neural engine. And if you want to, if you want to put two apps next to each other in split view, you still got to do the weird dance of drag and drop. And, I mean, it's, there's such a huge difference between the power of the hardware and the limitations of the software, that, yeah, I'm putting possibly too much hope into iPadOS 15 and WWDC, but it's, it, it, I cannot help it because it's so evident. It's so obvious. 
that there's a problem here. And um, I know that all my wishes are not going to be granted in two weeks. I know it's going to happen. So maybe maybe we'll get external display support, but we will not get any pro apps from Apple, mm. you know? But something has to happen, right? Because otherwise, this just doesn't make any sense at this point. You, you have a, a MacBook Pro level machine that can be both a laptop and a tablet and the most pro thing you can do in multitasking is two apps next to each other and a weird little thing floating in slide over i mean it's, it's just kind it's of not ridiculous enough. i think it's, it's just not no. enough some people say the fix to that is to let it run mac os or mac applications on top of ipad os I assume you think that's not the way to go. Uh, no, I. That's really. I mean, look. Sure, it's a way to go, but I think it's just really it, it lacks a lot of imagination. You know, I feel like why would you Im- invest on making a separate platform called iPadOS if two years later you're just saying, you know what, actually, we were wrong, we're giving up, we're putting macOS on this thing. I feel like Apple has been saying over and over, no, we don't want to merge the two platforms. And there's still a certain group of people who are saying, no, actually, what you mean is you're secretly merging macOS and macOS. And Apple is telling you, no, actually, we're not doing that. And when somebody tells you, what their intentions are, maybe you just got to believe them, right? I don't think they're putting Mac OS on iPad. I th- like I they've don't told think us over and over. Putting Mac apps on the iPad means you're merging the systems. Well, though. but... but uh, I'm not saying that that's the thing to do. It is a thing to do, right? Like if that's what you want to do, like it is a thing to do. I can see merit to it. Um, I don't know if it's the thing that's going to do what you want. I don't think that's enough. Like even if they did that, they were like, oh, now Mac apps can run on the iPad. It's not enough, in my opinion, because, well, then you can only you can run these Mac apps, but you can only run them in one window at a time or like, you know, or these two windows. Like it's, it's still not enough of a thing. You need to do more to the actual operating system itself, you know, but yeah, it's not, it's not the, I don't think it's the elegant solution, but it is, it is one, right? Like iOS apps run on the Mac now and they've merged the platforms. But it's also inelegant. I feel like what I would like to do, what I would like to see is Apple take a lot of the elements that make macOS great and rethink them for iPad. That's the ideal solution of you take the key concept of like, hey, people really like to use more than two apps together, or people really like to to put stuff on an external display, or pro users they like controlling multitasking with the keyboard. Like you take the key concept and then you say, okay, how can we rethink this on a different platform? That's usually what I would like to see Apple do. Take the the key idea, but then how the idea gets implemented or designed is exclusive to the platform. Now, I see a lot of folks actually saying, no, just let me run macOS on iPad Pro. And... I just don't think that's the right approach. No, just get a laptop. Because also, like, just get a Mac. 
Just get a la- yeah, just, just get, get a Mac. Mac. You'll be happy. It's fine. If you want if you want yes. a Mac OS on an iPad, just just get a Mac. Like it it really will do you a, you'll be you'll be happier that way. I'm almost convinced of it. Yes, and also like the uh, the iPad Pro is one type of iPad. But when they say Apple should get rid of iPad OS and just use Mac OS, are they also implying that you're gonna run Mac OS on an iPad Mini or an iPad Air? I don't think that would be a fun <laughs> experience. And so, and no. also it's just it's just kind of sad, right? To to say you know the two trillion dollar company couldn't figure out how to make a tablet OS, therefore they just took their desktop operating system and they put it on an iPad. No, they need that. There's it's, there's so much stuff they can do, right? We're always talking about things they can do. There are things they can do. Yeah, you know, I, I, while I was reading this today, like I was also just because I was like in preparing for the episode, I was I was in much more of like thinking about the iPad mode than I usually am, right? Mm. And I was kind of reminded of the true power of the iPad when it things are done right. Like, I was reading this story, like, I was reading your article, um, I was holding it in my hands, I was on the sofa and was reading it, right? And then I came across something I wanted to note down, so I brought the Google Docs up and put it on the side and just made a couple of notes. And then quickly realized I was going to be making more notes. So then I just grabbed the magic keyboard, attached it on, and just started typing. Yes. And, like, that, you know, this isn't... This, there was nothing new about that. This is how the iPad has worked for years. Even before the Magic Keyboard, we all had keyboards of different things, right? You use a smart keyboard. But there was just something about that moment where I was like, this isn't enough. I need to add something on, add on, perfect. And that idea, the modular computer idea that Federico talks about, it is what makes it truly special. I would, but I, And I want to see them do that same thing for the operating system. You know, we started to see that, right? The Magic Keyboard makes the operating system modular. It now adds a cursor, right? And so, like, that Mm -hmm. is something you don't otherwise have. And when you put it on the Magic Keyboard, now there's this new thing you can do. Give me more stuff like that. Using the iPad in different circumstances allows me to do different things with the iPad. Like, that's what makes this device cool and special in the first place lean into it yeah we we mentioned before uh i think last year when i did the modular computer uh, story how the the uh, we would like the ipad pro to be like the kirby of, of computers <laughs> oh, yeah. you know yeah i forgot the Nintendo about that. character <laughs> oh, yeah. that just transforms into whatever enemy it, it sucks mm-hmm. in and that is sort of the idea with the ipad uh, depending on the accessory or the the thing that you plug it into or that you pair it with, it becomes something else. That's the idea. Uh, and so, uh, I just feel like saying macOS on iPad is just kind of sad and boring. And I'm I'm not like that. I'm uh, I'm you know passionate. I'm passionate. Exactly. It lacks passion. That's the problem with that idea. It, it's like the it's the haha business sort of guy making a prediction, you know? It's like, yeah, Mac OS and I, but exciting. Okay, mm-hmm. sure. You yeah. know what it makes me think of is that time that the Mac was in, you know, maybe 2014 to last year, where uh, the Mac OS was moving forward, but the hardware was basically forgotten. It really felt like Apple had taken their eye off the ball. 
it kind of feels that way with iPad mm, OS, but in mm. the inverse, like the hardware is better than ever. Yes. But there's just not a focus on the software. And I just I come I keep coming back to something that we said then is like, does Apple have trouble doing more than a few things at once? Like why can't they move the ball forward on iPad OS? Now I understand that they have a lot of factors to consider. They have to strike a balance between someone using you know, the cheap iPad in a classroom all the way up to somebody like you who is running a business off of one. They have to reinvent things that are done on other platforms, but in this new way for this new context of the iPad. But you don't see them trying a lot of stuff. You don't see them really changing a lot of things, even years into them being a problem, right? Like we spoke about the Files app last time some of that stuff's been around for a long time and not doing anything about it, it feels, it feels pretty bad. And it makes it difficult to get excited about the future of this when you just feel like, well, if they don't care, why should I? I had to be a bummer, but no, no, that's, that feels right. I know. But the, the problem there is, you're putting too much hope in, in you know, oh, the next version is going to fix everything. Where it's mm-hmm. at some point you have to wonder, is this more of like an institutional problem going on where they just don't get it? And there needs to be like a round table sort of like intervention intervention moment where like they need to say, OK, now we get it. We screwed up with pro users like we're going to do this and this and that and we're going to take care of this like. Maybe we have approached that moment with iPadOS, but it's also kind of, it's very fascinating because I was also doing some research before the review. Um, Because usually I try not to complain too much about things in in my stories, not because I don't want to be objective, if, you know, that doesn't really exist, but in the sense that I only write about things I like, right? I don't like to write I don't like to write a review for something I'm not going to recommend because it just feels like a waste of time. And in this case, I found myself sort of uh, being half and half with this product in the sense that this is the computer that I use every day. It's the OS that I like the most. And because I like it so much and I use it so much, I have a lot of complaints because I use it it's my operating system of choice. Therefore, I have a long list of comments and criticism right, about it. And as I was doing more research about this, I looked again into how other people sort of criticized the iPad before. And I, and I came across this article by John Gruber from last year. I think, or two years ago, when the iPad turned 10, he published this story called The iPad Awkwardly Turns 10. And I thought that was fascinating because initially I thought, oh, this is the article where John complains about iPadOS and how it's not powerful enough for pro users. But actually, I found myself disagreeing with Gruber's conclusion where... At the end, and and he's not alone. And this is why iPadOS is such a fascinating topic. He's actually wishing for iPadOS to return to what the iPad used to be. Like, he's basically wishing for Apple to say, uh, uh, 
remove split view. LOL, JK, we didn't mean it, sorry. Let me go go back back to using one app at a time, sort of like the iPad was 10 years ago, sort of like Steve Jobs using the iPad on a couch moment. And I'm like, no, (laughs) no, please don't do that. And so iPadOS is fascinating because you have these users that tend to be primarily Mac users saying, I already have the Mac, so I just want to use the iPad like a big iPhone. And then you have iPad users who use it as, a, as their main computer saying, no, actually give me more, but find a balance between macOS and iPadOS. And so when we talk about iPadOS, I think it's important to contextualize what do you want from it? Because it's easy to be confused and say, oh, this person is complaining about iPadOS, but actually they don't really use iPadOS and what they want to use it as is as a fancy like book reader type product. I wrote last year in my uh, iOS and iPadOS 14 review how I think iPadOS is the most challenging operating system for Apple to design for at the moment because it's got that interesting mix of people using it. There's folks who just want to relax with an iPad. There's folks who want to work with it. And when you think about it, like, sure, people can relax with a Mac, but mostly you use it for work. And the iPhone, I mean, mm-hmm. the iPhone is just the iPhone, right? But the iPad needs to be a lot of things at the same time. And that makes it real challenging. I actually think I can give you a comparison thing for the Mac, mm. where if you imagine that Macs are mostly done for work-focused things, you have people that use Macs and literally everything they do is in a web browser. Mm. And then you have people that use Macs and they're using professional apps. I think mm. that's the like the the comparison of the two, right? So much yes. like work today is just in Safari or Chrome, right? Yeah. Or may as well be, right? Slack may as well just be Safari or Chrome. You get the same experience by opening up a tab in a web browser. That is how so much of work is done today. And a lot of people, when they say they can't do their work on iPad, what it is is just still there are, even though we have full, like the the better Safari, right? There's still stuff that doesn't work right. And people just feel like they can't get their work done because they can't open up a bunch of web browser windows and just move them wherever they want, right? They think they can't do the work on it. But then you also have the type of Mac user who's open in Final Cut Pro and jamming them from 4K video for 26 hours, right? Like it's, I think they're the types of Mac users that they have. The iPad has the same thing. You have people that use them just to read stuff and you have people that just want to do work on them. But they've, but Apple worked out how to make the Mac work for all of those people. They can yep. make work out how to make an iPad work for all of its potential customers. They just need to add more on the top end than what they've got currently. Wonderful review, Federico. Thank you, it was fun. It was really fun. We've got some more to talk about, but let's uh, let's take our next break. This episode of Connected is also brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, they've got you covered. Squarespace combines cutting-edge design and world-class engineering, making it easier than ever to establish your home online and to make your ideas a reality. Squarespace has everything you need to create a beautiful, modern website. You start with a professionally designed template and use drag-and-drop tools to make it your own. You can customize the look and feel, the settings, the products you have on sale, and so much more with just a few clicks. And all Squarespace websites are optimized for mobile. Your content just automatically adjusts so it looks great on any device. You also get free unlimited hosting, 
top-of-the-line security, and dependable resources to help you succeed. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you have any questions. Their system lets you easily grab a unique domain name, and they have tools for all the SEO and email marketing stuff you could ever need. So use Squarespace to turn your big idea into a new website. Showcase your work, publish the new blog, promote your business, and so much more. I've used Squarespace for years on a bunch of different projects, talking with somebody right now, a nonprofit. Their site's built on this old proprietary CMS, and it's getting rickety. There's security concerns. And for me, it's a no-brainer to recommend Squarespace because we can build something that looks great quickly, and then they can manage their content into the future. So head on over to squarespace.com connected for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code CONNECTED to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name. That's squarespace.com connected. And we decide to sign up, use the offer code CONNECTED to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of Connected and all of Relay FM. So we've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks, expecting it mm-hmm. was going to come. And then out of nowhere, I don't even mm. really know what to call this. <laughs> Apple Music, Spatial Audio, and Apple Music Lossless. It doesn't have a brand because Apple is not doing what other companies are doing and creating a separate tier. So that that hits Double Daily report saying it was nine ninety nine a month was right because mm-hmm. nothing's changed in the pricing. Mm-hmm. So Apple have added spatial audio based on Dolby Atmos and also are going to be converting or uh, enabling the ability for you to listen to their entire catalog in lossless formats. Yes. Federico, I know you've spoken so much today, but like <laughs> Jason referred on Upgrade referred to this episode as Federico Mania. Uh, <laughs> this is what it is today. Because uh, this is you, man. This is you, baby. You know, it, it, there was something in your review that I thought was kind of funny that uh, you're, you'll actually be able to listen to the lossless music on your iPad because you'll have a DAC to power it all, which is, we <laughs> yes. can get to that in a bit. But, Let's start with spatial audio because ultimately this is what 99% of people experiencing these changes mm-hmm. will actually most likely be able to uh, appreciate. At least with everything we know right now, it seems like, you know, it, unless you already have the gear for it, you won't be listening to lossless music. If, if you use any kind of AirPods product, it doesn't seem like it's going to support it. Spatial audio is rolling out more slowly it's starting with a select yeah. like a, th- a selection of thousands of tracks they'll add more over time and then they're also going to highlight apple will be highlighting music i'm sure they're going to go to a bunch of popular artists either uh and, and help them like remix stuff i'm assuming that people don't need to re-record things to to get this to work but honestly i don't know how it's going to work do you know for uh, for spatial audio, yeah, uh, I believe Apple has been asking um, a bunch of record labels to sell them. It's based on a different mix um, when you uh, that you gotta provide to the streaming company. Yep. Yeah, it's it's a different mix than the standard uh, stereo mix. So you and and this is why this is such a big deal for Dolby. Dolby are the real winners here because uh, they previously partnered with, I believe, Amazon Music was already taking advantage of Dolby Atmos. But here, Apple said in their press release that Dolby and Apple are now working together to basically o- ena- um, grow the number of Dolby enabled record. 
recording studios around the world because you, you got to have specific equipment to send in a Dolby Atmos mix, right? And Apple has been asking record labels f- over the past few weeks to send those mixes, those Atmos mixes, is the, if they have them, in exchange for being featured in the initial rollout of albums and playlists that will be highlighted on Apple Music with uh, for spatial audio. In theory, something recorded three years ago could be mixed in this if you had the right equipment, to our understanding. Uh, I, well, I, I don't know the specifics of recording studios. My understanding but of how recording music for release works, if it's being done quote-unquote right, is you record everything separately and then lay it down together. So if all you're doing is taking the, I mean, I guess at a basic level, if you're taking the instruments and then separating them, you could do that in like, a, I would assume, a virtual soundstage. But then there is probably a next level where yes. you could set the studios up in a different way with different type of equipment to record differently. Like where you could have everyone in the room at the same time playing something and also have it work with this uh, special audio stuff. Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure there, were, there there are plenty of tools, like in, in Pro Tools, for example, to take an existing uh, recording and mix it in Dolby Atmos, for example. I, I think that's how it works. Uh, and it's been around that, for... J- Jason a w- gave an example on, on Upgrade that, you know, you, you may remember the, um, the Beatles album that was remixed for... So as Jason's in the chat right now, uh, 5.1 mixes from the early 2000s. Uh, in, from the early 2000s of music from the 80s you just need to remix them and you just do it differently and the Beatles right, love so, remixed yes. by Giles Martin so Beatles there's Beatles music that is remixed in surround sound but you still gotta send in another mix yeah they have to do it Apple's not gonna do it for you <laughs> exactly exactly so it's not like Apple music like automatically converts mm-hmm. you, you know a song to Dolby Atmos you have to send in a Dolby Atmos mix um, so uh, yeah, Apple said they're working. They're gonna have. They're gonna start with thousands of tracks and thousands compared to seventy-five million songs on Apple Music. It's, it's a very small number. We'll see. We'll see how it works. And uh, we talked last week. We said there's a very good chance that yes, Apple is gonna introduce lossless playback, but really the key consumer feature is going to be spatial audio, and it's exactly what they've done. Right, so spatial audio will be supported on all headphones that have the H1 chip or the W1 chip. Um, you can use it on a, you can use it on device speakers, so the speakers on of an iPhone, iPad, or Mac. And I believe it's also going to work uh, with an Apple TV if you have compatible um, equipment attached to the Apple TV. I think so. Uh, this is the consumer feature, right? And it's what's going to push the sales of AirPods. You're going to be able to hear, in theory, instruments left and right, up and down, sort of like having a virtual soundstage on your head. That's the idea. This is the big thing. Going into the future is going to be the big thing. Lossless is great and nice and fun for people that care, but spatial audio music is... it. If they're going to do it the way that we assume they're going to do it, it's going to be something that people really freak out about, like in a, in a good way. Like it's going to be like, wow, this yes. is, you know, n- not exactly the same, but I could imagine it almost similar to like the first time you try VR, where you're like, whoa, this Kinda. is weird yeah. and amazing and I love it. I can imagine it being similar for 
the spatial audio for music. Because like spatial audio for TV stuff is fun, but really like most of the time it's not making things fly all around your head. I was about to say that. Like it's fun when you first watch a like a if you have a living room with the full Dolby setup, with the full surround setup. It's fun, like you can hear the bullets like behind you and to the left, for example, you know, that kind of stuff. But I feel like it'll be the effect will be even more pronounced for music because you're wearing headphones and you're like, you're listening to a song and you can hear those details, especially for songs that you already know. And so when Apple says in their marketing uh, materials, you're going to discover like a new dimension for music. That's basically the idea, right? You're going to tell people, take this song that you already know, and now you can, you, can, you can hear instruments around you. Sort of like if you were like sitting in front of, of you know, the artist and their band. That's the idea. It should be fun. Mm-hmm. should be fun and easy to explain to people. Yeah, I'm really excited about this feature. I can't wait. Now, lossless. Oh, here we go. Settle in. Here we go. <laughs> Now, well, so I don't want to really get into this, like, at least too much. I don't want to get too much into the specifics of this, especially the science of this, because I know that the audiophile community really likes their numbers and their scientific measurements, and it's easy to get lost in the weeds here. So for context, um, there's going to be both lossless and high-resolution lossless in Apple Music. The entire catalog of Apple Music will be available in uh, ALAC, which is the Apple lossless format. It's the Apple version of FLAC, basically. Uh, it's going to be free of charge. You don't have to pay extra. So lossless, it starts at CD quality. CD quality would be 16-bit at 44.1 kilohertz. And according to Apple, it goes up to 24-bit at 48 kilohertz. This is the basic lossless, and it's playable, they say, natively on all Apple devices, which, okay. Then there's the sort of the audiophile mode, which is high-resolution lossless. That's so funny to me where it's like the way they describe it. It's like how you just described it. It starts here, goes to here, and then also goes an extra part. It's like, I don't understand. (laughs) And I feel like Apple is sort of trying to navigate very carefully the vast mess that is discussing whether high-resolution audio is a scam or not, <laughs> basically. Um, so iRes lossless will be 24-bit at 192 kilohertz. And this will require using an external DAC with your Apple device. So usually you can just use a USB DAC that you can plug into your iPhone or your Mac or iPad and you plug in your fancy equipment, uh, such as headphones, into the DAC itself. Now, for context, I think it's important to remember that Apple is entering a a crowded field with lossless playback, because a lot of other companies have been doing this stuff for a few years now. Amazon Music HD has existed for the past couple of years, and actually this is kind of funny, because just minutes before Apple made their big announcement... Amazon announced that they were slashing the price of Amazon, of Amazon <laughs> Music HD, and now actually Amazon Music HD is not a extra anymore. It doesn't cost anything anymore. It's now cool. part of your Amazon Music subscription. Which hey, this is what competition does. Fair play. It forces other right. Fair yeah. So Amazon Music HD is now also free. Now, 
it gets interesting for other companies. Uh, Spotify announced a few months ago that Spotify Hi-Fi is also coming. They're going to roll these out soon. I actually saw the logo for Spotify Hi-Fi in the iPhone app, but it doesn't actually work. <laughs> I saw this tweet. Yes, you can see the icon, you can see the logo, but it's, it, it disappears after a few seconds. Great. <laughs> it's, it's not clear. It's not Hey. Good job, Spotify. <laughs> Server-side rollouts, right? That's how it works. <laughs> it worked for Epic. <laughs> it really worked for sure. them, but in a very different it way. It really did. <laughs> it really did, man. It really did. Uh, now, Spotify Hi-Fi, we don't know if it'll be like, what's the pricing structure going to be? I believe Spotify just said that we're going to do CD quality. Did I have a choice now? Exactly. Which brings me to the other companies that have been doing this. Now, these other streaming companies, they kind of specialized lossless playback to the point where it kind of became the whole product, right? So Tidal, for example. Folks use Tidal because of lossless playback. And Tidal, in particular, uses their own version of Lossless, which is MQA, which it's a whole other discussion about that format. There's Deezer Hi-Fi. Deezer is a popular streaming service, and the Hi-Fi tier was also like another way that they differentiated from Apple Music and Spotify and Amazon. And then there's Cobuse. And Cobuse, which I believe it's a French a company that is actually now available, the streaming service is available in, in every, uh, everywhere. It is the de facto, so, like, lossless streaming service. And I have to wonder now, Apple's move was very aggressive in entering this field and saying, you know what, we're just going to take a, what for some companies is the entire product and we're going to just make it a free feature of Apple Music. Amazon followed immediately i have to wonder what happens to these other companies now i mean this is a particularly bold move considering what spotify are accusing them of in europe like this is that but worse right they're forcing the pricing of their competitors down again and these other companies they're just getting obliterated because of the price stuff right and, it, and and this isn't just a competition-based thing. It's also because Apple wants to take 30% from these companies as well, mm. right? That's what I have a problem with. I, I don't have so much a problem with Apple being aggressive with their offering. They can be as aggressive as they want. It's when they yep. want to be aggressive and then also want to take 30% from these companies. That's what I have a personal issue with. And it yeah. basically becomes impossible to compete yes. in this field yeah. now. You can't. It's literally impossible. Like the platform owner is competing with you for free. And if you try to charge a price for it, it's also going to take 30% from you. Yeah, they pre-install an application. <laughs> you know, it's, it's I mean, it's kind of tough. So, um it kind of explains, though, why these companies, and in particular Cobuse, they've been trying to diversify their offering. Um, another really good example, we mentioned this one on App Stories a few weeks ago. There's this streaming service called Prime Phonic. Prime Phonic is all about classical music. And they obviously, they support lossless playback because that's the kind of market that they're going after. 
but they've been trying to diversify what they do with like human curation, um, so playlists for composers and conductors, for example, um, interviews with uh, orchestra conductors or uh, you know um, the owners of particular theaters and venues around the world. And Cobuse, on the other on the other hand, they have a web store. So you can use Cobuse for streaming or you can just buy the lossless audio, the lossless albums from the Cobuse store. And the, I think, I'm pretty sure, they also have a subscription plan for like an actual music magazine. It's like a membership program for like... It's got uh, double down on what makes you different. Make that your exactly. USP and then move so forward. So maybe they can survive in this niche with that kind of differentiation. Well, We'll see. Apple's move is really aggressive, if not downright anti-competitive. Anti <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, that is uh, antitrust in a nutshell for you. Um, now, lossless playback. Um, so we have to, again, very quickly cover the AirPods integration here. So it appears that no AirPods model will support any kind of lossless playback. For Now, for lossless playback, I also want to have a small parenthesis here. I know that the consensus is that you never need anything higher than CD quality, right? The idea is, you know, we, we have, we, we, we've been throwing these terms around like bits, uh, like uh, kilohertz, and I, I mean, bits it basically represents the range of a file. So like how quiet and how loud it can go. In theory, for certain types of music, having a, you know, a higher range matters, like classical music, like it gets really loud or it can get real quiet. Kilohertz, that would be the, sa the sampling rate. So essentially like how frequently when you're recording something, a sample is taken in the recording studio. The thing is, again, the consensus is CD quality is all that you need because that is that works out precisely at where the limits of human hearing are. The idea with CD quality is, and the reason why years ago a lot of people made fun of SACD, which was a sort of like the... SACD was like the high-resolution audio version of compact discs back in the day. The idea is CD quality is all that humans can enjoy because at so 44.1 kilohertz, it means every second there, there are 44,100 samples taken in the recording. And now if you could, and I know that this is going to get real nerdy here, and I am sorry, just put links in the show notes and please don't correct me because I'm trying to simplify all of this because this is a podcast. It's not a lecture. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, at the uh, moment, well, it's a little bit. Well, but. So there's something called the Nyquist equation. Oh my gosh. All right, we're done. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> the idea is that the human human hearing goes all the way up to 22 kilohertz. 22 kilohertz is is exactly half of 44 kilohertz, which is CD quality. So humans can 
just need CD quality audio if they want to be able to hear everything that is included in a recording, in, you know, in a song recorded in a... St- Essentially, our human hearing is limited. A lot of people say high-resolution audio is snake oil. Snake oil is a scam. It's kind of true, but I still feel like high-resolution lossless, so 24-bit, 192 kilohertz, is it's still important in the studio. So for recording purposes, for archival purposes, and to make sure that you have the highest and the best possible version of the recording if you work in this field, right? Because you are still going to sample sounds every five microseconds. So for the recording studio itself, I think it's important to have the high-resolution lossless version of it. For humans and trying to listen to lossless audio, it is kind of true that CD quality is all you need. So, and again, I apologize if I am simplified this and I used words that are not totally accurate, but again, you get the picture. I'm trying my best here. You, you get the idea. So, now, AirPods. These are Bluetooth devices, right? Uh, they're Bluetooth based devices. And with Bluetooth, you have to compress data because the bandwidth available to you is limited. And these lossless files and high-resolution files can get real heavy. Like, for example, uh, let's see, in my library right now, I have a Bruno Mars song, and a single song at 24-bit, that would be 50 megabytes. So you have a single song that that is 50 megabytes. These files can get heavy. The moment, so you're saying, okay, I want to listen to this over AirPods. Is that possible? Well, the thing is, you need to compress data. And when you compress data, it's not lossless anymore because you're very likely stripping information out of the file. So over the years, a bunch of Bluetooth codecs uh, appeared that promised to achieve lossless or Mike's favorite term, near lossless playback. Oh, get out of town. Hey, uh- <laughs> So anyway, there's companies like Qualcomm, for example, they've been trying to achieve near lossless playback using codecs like APTXHD. There's Sony, which has LDAC. LDAC is a Bluetooth codec that is advertised as a high-resolution codec. It's got the official high-res label from the high-resolution audio... What's it called? Society? No, it's not called Society. It's called... (laughs) What is it called? (laughs) The Secret Society of Audio Lovers. (laughs) It's called something. It's called something. Uh, And it's certified... What is it called? The high-res society? There is no point asking us this question, Federico. We do not have the answer for you. You are the only person of the three of us that can answer this question. You could make it up. No one would know. I'm gonna make call my club the high-res society uh anyway these bluetooth codecs none of them can achieve real reliable consistent lossless playback because of the nature of bluetooth itself if you have a weak signal the codec is going to compress the data for you and when you compress data you remove information it's not the pure original file anymore So now the question is, what can Apple do? Now, just a few minutes ago, it appears that um, 
not friend of the show, but person who we frequently mention, John Prosser, uh, shared that Apple is likely going to roll out their uh, their own Bluetooth codec for AirPods and lossless playback. Now, I kind of feel like if they want to achieve real lossless playback on AirPods in the future, that is what they have to do, right? Um, they already have their own... This, it, this feels like the logical... It feels like the most Apple thing to do. I don't really understand personally why people are questioning this as a possibility. Like, why would they put all this time mm-hmm. into lossless if they weren't going to have devices that could play it? Maybe the headphone jack's coming back. Think about that. But, like, that's the thing, right? Like, unless you're going to do that, which they're not going to do, or they're going to be like, oh, we've created this new wonderful lightning cable that can do... Like, it does... Like, it's, oh, great, your iPad can do it. But, like, is that... With people that listen to lossless music, I can't imagine that their desired... um listening experiences ipad pro speakers right like you want to have it in headphones <laughs> surely right like if you're going to yep. that level I, I just feel like apple wouldn't go through this work and make such a big song and dance out of this if they weren't going to find a way or had not found a way to make it possible with their products and i'm very confident that this can't be done through pure bluetooth but you know what AirPods do not work by pure Bluetooth, right? They're doing other stuff. They have as a, as a fallback option for Android users, but yes, exactly. Like on iPhone, on on Apple devices, it already is a custom thing that they have mm-hmm. going. And so it feels logical to me that Apple is, if they want to achieve this, they're going to do something that is more similar to peer-to-peer Wi-Fi based connections, mm-hmm. something like AirDrop, for example, that allows you to exchange heavy files like photos and videos between Apple devices, then standard Bluetooth. I, I think this is the most logical solution, you know, considering Apple's background. They're gonna do a custom thing that can help them sell more AirPods because AirPods will be certified as these are real tiny, real portable, battery life is great, and they also support lossless playback. Now, will it sound great, you know, to listen to, uh, you know, Pink Floyd remastered in lossless format on a bunch of (laughs) regular AirPods? No, it's still gonna sound small and like you're listening to music. In the same way that the spatial audio, like it's going to be a scale. If you use regular exactly. AirPods, it's not going to sound as good. It will get better when you get to AirPods Pro, and the best is AirPods Max. And it will be, I expect, the exact same sliding scale for um, the the lossless stuff. And I could even imagine them saying, like, this type of AirPods, you can have this lossless settings because it comes to a certain point and it's pointless, right? I wouldn't be surprised if they did that. Kind of is, like, I've I've been seeing a lot of complaints this week on Twitter saying why uh, did Apple roll out lossless playback and it and it's not natively supported on 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 the AirPods. Mm-hmm. I kind of get the complaint when it comes to the AirPods Max. I do feel like the timing of this is a bit 
strange. I understand why if the proprietary codec, whatever it is that Apple is doing, doesn't exist yet, it just doesn't exist. Like if they're going to roll this out next year or in two years, like there's nothing we can do right now. And they just wanted to sell you headphones and they just released them. I get it. But even in wired mode, by plugging in a lightning cable, you know, these headphones, they come out, they came out a few months ago. They probably should have supported this in wired mode. But then again, Maybe the existing lightning cables, right? They just don't have the kind of internal DAC that can support that kind of playback. So ultimately, I think if you're an audiophile, it's very likely that you already have your own personal music library. And maybe you're going to do what I do, which is you have your personal music collection and you're going to use a music streaming service as a test for albums that you want to purchase, right? That's how I've been using Amazon Music HD so that I can test albums before I actually buy them in lossless format. And I think if you're that kind of person, you will not use AirPods anyway. You're going to use an external DAC. Mm -hmm. There's a discussion to be had about bringing the benefits of CD quality to a lot of people using AirPods Pro and AirPods Max. And that, I think, is true. That's a good argument. But for that... I wouldn't be surprised if Apple is waiting to roll out their own proprietary Wi-Fi based, I would say, uh, technology for that kind of streaming. Now, the good news is that can potentially be done in software, I guess. Uh, I don't know enough about the engineering of AirPods and how this works. But if I were to like bet on this, I would say they're going to do their own thing. I mean, it's it's the uh, XKCD uh, strip all over again, right? Uh, uh, what 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 was it like? Um, context. There are fourteen competing standards, and now and later there are now fifteen competing standards, mm-hmm. and that's gonna be the thing with Bluetooth codecs, right? Everybody's doing its own, uh, and now there's going to be the Apple one. <laughs> so it makes USB three seem simple. <laughs> oh yeah. In comparison. Oh yeah. Yes, thank you, Steven, for pasting that in the Discord. Um, and yes, so audiophiles will likely be happy starting next month. They will use their existing USB DACs to listen to lossless music in Apple Music. Everybody else with AirPods Pro and AirPods Max, and especially the Max, for CD quality, because really that's what matters ultimately, we'll see what Apple does. Prosser is saying they will announce uh, something soon. But I think as a theory, it makes sense. As a theory, it does make sense. But spatial audio is going to be awesome, and I'm really excited about it. And spatial audio is going to be awesome, but I want to see how extensive it is as a catalog. Now, obviously, Apple getting into this field is going to convince a lot of studios to actually provide Dolby Atmos mixes, in theory, if this is successful, if it becomes a thing that people expect from their streaming service. And again, Dolby are the real winners. They had a deal with Amazon before. I believe they also work with Tidal, and now they're going to work with Apple. So good to be Dolby. Good to be Dolby right now, honestly, yes. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Indeed. AI can do some incredible things, but for most jobs in your company, you need a good old-fashioned human being. Preferably someone brilliant and preferably as soon as possible. 
If you're looking for great minds to move the world, you can hire them with Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality short list of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster and only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. It makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your job description immediately. An Indeed skills test that on average reduces hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skill tests and then add them to your must-have requirements so you only pay for applicants who meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. In short, if you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com connected. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com connected. Offer is valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to Indeed for their support of the show and Relay FM. All right, so we're going to round out today's episode with a recurring new segment as we move towards WWDC. One feature each. Stephen, would you like to go first? What is one feature you would like to see come to Apple's platforms at WWDC this year? You know, we've we've done all this talking about the iPad as a computer uh, in the more traditional sense of something like Mac OS or even Windows. With the M1, that conversation has only accelerated. But one area that I really feel like the iPhone, but the iPad in particular, really needs to become more flexible is with backup options. So if you pay and you have the space, iCloud backup really is great. I never have to worry about it. It just works. If my iPad gets dropped in the lake, then I can just replace it and move all my data over by signing back into iCloud. And if that's not for you, there's iTunes and Finder integration. That's a nice alternative. You can do those encrypted full device backups there. But both problems, but both solutions have the same problem is that they're all or nothing. There's no way to restore data just within a single app or just certain settings from a backup while leaving others alone. On the Mac, you can do this with Setup Assistant, where you sign into a new Mac and you, you say, hey, I want to move data from my old Mac or this hard drive. It gives you the options. You can say, hey, you know what? I want my desktop, but I don't want my documents. I want this and not that. And I think that would be welcome, especially on the iPad, as more and more people have lots of data on them. Now, I know it's inherently different because of the way that iPadOS stores and most often doesn't store files locally, but I would like more control over that, especially on on the restoration end of things. It is an interesting one, and it's a weird one, and it's something that I think about a lot, especially when I hear you know Federico talking about all of the things he has to do to make the manual backups of his articles, yeah. right? And it would be great if there was some kind of thing that you knew was happening or an extra thing that you could depend upon or rely upon. Like Time Machine, right? Time Machine's so great, it's just there, and I can have it in addition to my online backup. Right. I mean, you could say the flip side of this is iCloud backup for certain things on your Mac, but yeah, you and especially since we have a USB port, like 
let me plug in a hard drive every so often and back up data or settings or photos, whatever it is. It's just, um, I, iCloud backup is great. And I think it solves the problem for like 95% of people, but there are those people who, who want that extra layer of, of backup and security, especially if the iPad is your only or your primary computer. Federico, what have you got? I just want to have rethought iPad multitasking. Oh, yeah, it's a little, little thing there. Dash. <laughs> just, just, they could throw that together. Obviously, the current system doesn't scale anymore. It's confusing and hard to explain to average users, and it's too limited for power users. So I feel like there has to be something else. I don't know how, I don't know why I'm not a designer at Apple, but I can tell you from my perspective that a few things that I would really like to see. So keyboard integration. Right now, the system is entirely touch-operated, right? Uh, you need to drag and drop icons around to create spaces, to create split views and slide-overs. I just want to be able to do this from the keyboard without having to finely maneuver you know, these icons on screen. Have some kind of, you know, in addition to keyboard commands, have some kind of visible menu that lets me tile windows or group windows together. You have something like like this on the Mac. I think it can exist on the, on the iPad as well. And just, I just want to be able to do this faster, more quickly, you know? I just feel like the entire system right now is so clunky where you got to show an app and then you got to pick up the other one, drop it precisely where you want it. Because depending on where you drop it, it can be a split view or it can be a, just everything is so slow and, and tedious to do over and over. Just let me fly through these windows and these apps quickly. And some other additions, it would be cool to be able to do this from search. This is actually something that Mike and Gray talked about years ago in an episode of it Cortex. Was literal years ago now. And I, keep, I always link it in my reviews because I still think it's a good idea to just let me search for, say, Google Docs. And as soon as I find, as I see the icon in Spotlight, let me press a combination of keys to instantly add that application to the left or to the right, for example. I mentioned before, I would love to have uh, my favorite combinations of apps. So let me save, for example, whenever I do research for Connected, I have Notes and Google Docs open at the same time. Let me save that as a workspace. I believe the, what's it called? The, Mike, you, you talk about other companies. The Microsoft uh, oh, Duo. Oh, the Duo is that, App Pairs. They have that. They have the app pairs. Let me have that. Let me save a workspace as a, as a favorite. By the way, that device, such a failure. They're selling it for $600 now. It was a $2,000 device when Ooh. it came out. <laughs> I kind of wanted to buy it at one point. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, yeah, I did Yeah, it's for a rough. Um, I feel for them. It was such a cool thing, but not going well. And lastly, I will say, let me integrate all of this with shortcuts. Uh, Shortcuts has no idea whatsoever what iPad multitasking is at the moment. Let me open and close windows. Let me manage split views. Let me speed this up using shortcuts. All right. Mine is interactive widgets. Oh, yes. We all love widgets. Widgets are awesome. Uh, and I've gotten by, like we all have, on their limited interactivity. There was a thing that we were talking about before. We spoke about it after. The new widgets in their design and the flexibility of them is so cool that I was willing to take that one step back to go forward, right? But And there are some apps that can do some stuff to make it feel like it's a little bit interactive. You know, like you can tap on a certain area of a widget. 
and it opens apps to a different place than tapping on another area. And there are some apps that have done some really silly, hacky things to make it feel like they're working in the background. But I just want to be able to perform some quick actions that don't make me have to open the application. Basically, I want to be able to do what I can do with the shortcuts widget, but with other applications. And I'm happy to start slow here. You know, like if the first thing was just stuff like starting and stopping timers, for example, like super simple things would be really easy. You know, like you've got something going on in an app, press a button and it changes it. You know, like also play pause music, play pause a podcast, really easy stuff. But if I was going to be able to get whatever I wanted, I would like applications to be able to build their own compact UIs. Mm, So for example... I tap a button in the Fantastical widget and I get a custom compact UI interface for entering a new calendar event. Be lovely, yeah. right? Um, yeah. I, Shortcuts does it. Yeah, th- this is what so. made me think of it when I was writing it down today. When I, As soon as I wrote like, oh, let me do what Shortcuts can do, I thought, well, Shortcuts also lets me do compact UI. Oh, why can't other apps use that too? Yeah. Um, I also want to see widgets updating more frequently. That's just like a little nitpick. Uh, they, It's good, but sometimes can get a bit out of... Uh, sync and I have to open the app to get it to update. I just want that to happen more often. But more interactivity, I feel like it's got to happen. I don't know if it's going to happen now. I'm fine if they just take a step. They don't have to give me everything. I just want to see we're moving in that direction. Surely this is going to be another big year for widgets. I've just got to assume Apple would be bananas to leave this on the table for this year. Um, It's one of the only things they've introduced of this kind in years that's really taken off the way that they would have dreamed you know like does anyone remember watch face sharing (laughs) yeah that didn't happen did it but widgets did so i want to see them capitalize on this because it went bigger than they ever could have imagined i think um as a feature i mean look at what google did right with android android 12 looks bananas and amazing uh material you then you design language stuff like really kind of fantastic that is like way more than apple's gonna do it's like full-on device theming built into the operating system when they spoke about it on google io matthias duarte he really kind of like embraced it it's like look as designers it's going to be really uncomfortable to let people change the designs of your apps Mm-hmm. but we think it's the right thing to do and we're creating some tools to let them do it in a way that will be tasteful. Yeah. I was just like, man, I appreciated how honest he was. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, that, that's yeah. true though. Yeah. yeah. So there we go. Three more features. Well, I think that about does it for this week. If you want to check out the stories we spoke about and definitely go read Federico's review if you haven't already. Uh, those links are on the website at relay.fm slash connected slash 346. While you're on the Relay website, go check out Clockwise. It's a host by our friends Dan Moore and Micah Sargent. They invite two guests every week from a diverse pool of tech pros, and they cover four tech topics in 30 minutes. Head on over to relay.fm slash clockwise or search for Clockwise wherever you get your podcasts. You can find all of us online. You can find Mike on Twitter as I-M-Y-K-E, and you can hear him on a bunch of shows here on Relay FM. And you can see him most Fridays at Mike.Live, where he builds very colorful rainbow keyboards. I'm typing on one right now, which is the most rainbow. It's unbelievable. And I is love that the it. one in your picture from the tweet today? Yeah. Yeah. It's called the Stella 65. It's 
fantastic. It's just acrylic plastic, so the the RGB is just everywhere. It looks awesome. It's really fun. You can find Federico on Twitter at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. He is, of course, the editor-in-chief of MacStories.net. Again, congratulations on thank the review. You. It's it's really good. Thank you, thank you. You can find me on Twitter as ISMH, and I write 512pixels.net. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week on Connected. They are our friends at Pingdom, Squarespace, and Indeed. And until next time, gentlemen, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Cheerio. Bye, y'all.